In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to number two of 2021, the True Life Podcast. Things are really heating up out there, am I right? It's getting nuts with the COVID. I'm out here in Hawaii, and I just witnessed the storming of the congressional houses. Wow, what a year it's going to be. Anybody, anybody invested in Bitcoin? telling you that's the move i think pretty sure that's the move i think if you have a little bit of extra now is the time to start putting your future into the new monetary system which i think is bitcoin why am i opening up with this because i'm getting into culture today's talk podcast is going to be about man and culture we're at a pivotal point right now, I believe, in 2021. Isn't it, it? It seems that maybe 2021 should have been the Mayan calendar's 2012. Maybe it was. Maybe things began to happen in 2012, and they've just been rapidly increasing, and now it's time. So when I talk about culture, let me break it down a little bit, kind of break the ice and move our way into what culture is, how it influences us. And let me ask you this question. Do you think that people can socially engineer an environment by changing the culture? Can people shape culture that shapes the behaviors of the people? Culture is the way we see and do things as a society. The term incorporates the social norms, values, traditions, knowledge, and technology. I think technology is very persuasive. Food, language, arts, there's tons of other things. It's an important part 
of the way all of us experience our lives. Whether we stay at home or travel the world, engage with the latest news and political debates, or simply enjoy reading a good book, watching a good movie, we're actively engaging in the culture that surrounds us. There's a couple quotes that I think will help kind of get the juices flowing. Culture is the name for what people are interested in. Their thoughts, their models, the books they read, and the speeches they hear. That's by Walter Lippmann. Culture is the arts elevated to a set of beliefs. Thomas Wolfe. Let us begin at the beginning. When you're brought into this world, Shown the light, and the doctor picks you up, picks you up by the feet and smacks your bottom, and you start crying. From that day, we're brought into this world in a helpless condition. The helpless condition of the newborn human arises from the fact that his neurological and muscular systems are largely undeveloped and uncoordinated. His nervous system is, in particular, is... It's like a telephone system of a great city in which almost none of the connections from phone to phone or from phone to switchboard are closed. We're sorry. All circuits are busy. Please try again later. Of course, this comparison is by no means perfect. For the human nervous system is much more complicated, much more adaptable, and much faster than any telephone system. The human brain alone as a kind of central switchboard, has millions of neural connections. Other millions are distributed throughout the body. The way in which these are connected up, or even the fact that they come to be connected up at all, depends on what happens to the child, how he is trained, how he grows. Okay, now, we run some industrial strength electrical cable from the top of the clock tower, down, suspending it over the street between these two lampposts. Meanwhile, we've outfitted the time vehicle with this big pole and hook, which runs directly into the flux capacitor. At the calculator moment, you start off from down the street, driving directly toward the cable, accelerating to 88 miles per hour. According to the flyer, at precisely 10.04 p.m. this Saturday night, lightning will strike the clock tower, electrifying the cable, just as the connecting hook makes contact, thereby sending 1.21 gigawatts into the flux capacitor and sending you back to 1985. The things he is capable of becoming originally, we will speak of as his potentialities. The things he does become as the result of experience and training, we can speak of as actualities. Potent now think about that. There's two differences there. The sum of his potentialities we're going to call human nature, while the sum total of his actualities we're going to call his human personality. It is quite clear that human nature, potential qualities, is very much wider than human personality, actually developed qualities. Indeed, we might assume that everyone at birth, or even at conception, has the potentiality for being aggressive, submissive, selfish, generous, cowardly or brave, masculine or feminine, pugnacious or peaceful, violent, gentle, and so forth. You get the picture. 
and that which of these potential qualities becomes actual or to what degree it does so depends very largely on the way in which each person is trained or on the experiences he encounters as he grows up. The fact that there are societies or tribes in which almost everyone is aggressive like the Apaches and that there are other closely related tribes in which almost everyone is submissive like the Zuni and the fact that infants taken from one such tribe and reared in the other grow up to have in full measure the typical characteristics of their adopted tribe would seem to indicate both that all such people are potentially about the same at conception and that their personalities are largely a consequence of the way in which they are reared. If this is so, it is clear that the way in which people are brought up is very important. I think we can all agree with that. This is, of course, evident from the consideration already mentioned, namely that humans are helpless at birth and must be cared for and trained during a period of many years. The way in which they are cared for and trained depends very largely on the personalities of the people whom they encounter as they are growing up. But these personalities, again, depend on the way in which these adults were reared. You begin to see the relationship there in the cycle. Thus, there appear in any society certain patterns of action. Certain patterns of belief and certain patterns of thought that are passed on from generation to generation always slightly different, both from generation to generation and from person to person in any single generation, but possessing a recognizable pattern. This pattern depends not only on the way people are trained to act, to feel, and to think, but also on the more concrete manifestations of their social environment, such as the kind of clothes they wear, the kind of shelters in which they live, the kind of tools they have for making a living, the kind of food they eat and how they eat it, the kind of toys they have to amuse themselves, as well as the kind of weapons they have to defend themselves. All of these things, patterns of action, feeling, thought, as well as concrete objects used in these activities are known in the social science as culture. This culture forms the environment in which a child grows up as the natural environment surrounds the baby. Man is surrounded by natural environment, to be sure, but it is much more remote. In man's case, culture intervenes as a kind of insulation between him and his natural environment. In fact, the surrounding environment of culture penetrates both into him as a person and into his natural environment, changing both. Environmentalists say Mother Nature is wonderful and beautiful. Culture is rapacious and destructive, and human beings are cruel and destructive. It's like it's absolutely true. Human beings are cruel and destructive. Culture is rapacious and 
well, rapacious will do. And nature is beautiful, but it's only half the story because nature is doing her best to kill you constantly. Culture protects you from freezing and starving, and human beings are just struggling to survive as well as being, you know, throwing plastic everywhere and being messy. His neurological reactions in behavior, in feeling, and in thought are largely determined by his cultural environment. And at the same time, this cultural environment modifies his natural environment by such activities as heating his home, cooking his food, cutting down forests, draining swamps, killing off animals, and generally modifying the face of the earth. The ceramic model of the universe is based on the book of Genesis, from which Judaism, Islam, and Christianity derive their basic picture of the world. And the image of the world in the book of Genesis is that the world is an artifact. It is made. As a potter takes clay and forms pots out of it, or as a carpenter takes wood and makes tables and chairs out of it. Don't forget, Jesus is the son of a carpenter, and also the son of God. So the image of God and of the world is based on the idea of God as a technician. The individual's reactions in behavior, in feeling, and in thought, what I call his personality, are largely determined by his cultural environment. At the same time, his personality is part of the cultural environment of those people whom he meets. And as already said, only by such relationships is his personality developed from his human nature. All this makes a human being so different from a turtle that nothing very relevant to human behavior can be learned from the study of turtle behavior. With the human being, we are dealing with a threefold situation. The human being surrounded by his culture, and both together surrounded by the natural environment and by other cultures. Where a turtle lays dozens of eggs in hopes that some turtles from those eggs can be carried to maturity by obedience to fairly rigid instincts the human has almost no rigid instincts and adapts his personality to his culture. The culture, in turn, must adapt itself to the natural environment. Thus, if the natural environment changes, the turtle must change his nature, while man merely changes his culture, and thus his personality. But this beautifully flexible relationship requires such a long period of training and learning during which human nature becomes a human personality and the individual becomes able to care for himself that humans are dependent on their parents for many years. Accordingly, humans have few offsprings and each offspring is very valuable. This is kind of getting into the R versus K reproductive strategy. I'm sure most of you are aware of that. For those of you who may not know the R versus K, I'll give you a little quick synopsis. There's two evolutionary strategies termed R selection for those species that produce many cheap offsprings and live in unstable environments, 
and K-selection for those species that produce few expensive offspring and live in stable environments. Think of uh, rabbits that just are constantly pushing out babies and once the baby is born, it pretty much fends for himself and there are so many natural predators for them that evolution has decided the best way to keep rabbits around is just to continually have lots of them and some are going to die and so be it. Where if you look at a wolf or a, a human baby, well, let's just stay with animals. If you just do the wolf, they have a much smaller amount and some die. However, they spend a lot of time raising their pups in a pack and that pup learns the rigid rules of the pack. It learns its spot in the pack. It learns, maybe it's the alpha, maybe it's the beta. However, it's going to find its place in the world and learn the rules of the wolf pack. Much like, now some people say that people, humans, you and I, different groups, because of their culture, have different reproductive strategies. Hey ladies, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm writing a term paper on the finer things in life, and I was wondering, could I interview you? I'm sorry, but you must be global warming, because there's no denying you've been making my world hotter. Would you grab my arm so I can let my boys know what it's like to be touched by an angel? Some of which are to have as many kids as you can, because some might die, and others are to have maybe a single child, or two children, or very few children, in order to give that one child all the resources. Interesting to think about, right? It's a lot of, there's a lot of information there that you can go through and check out for yourself. But I kind of digress. Let's move back to man and culture. Accordingly, humans have few offspring, and each offspring is very valuable since the survival of the species does not depend, as with turtles or rabbits, on the more or less accidental survival of a f very few out of the many reproduced, but depends instead on the ability to bring up almost all who were born and to train them so that they can take care of themselves, have the intelligence to modify their culture, including their personalities. When it becomes necessary to adapt to the environment, and at the same time develop the capacity to use the freedom to change their behavior, which this whole situation assumes, is such a way that it will be beneficial to themselves and to the group on which they depend for the continuation of their culture. Holy Jesus! What is that? What the fuck is that? Jelly donut, sir! A jelly donut? Sir, yes, sir! How did it get here? Sir, I took it from the mess hall, sir! Is Chow allowed in the barracks, private pile? Sir, no, sir! Are you allowed to eat jelly donuts, private pile? Sir, no, sir! And why not, private pile? Sir, because I'm too heavy, sir! Because you are a disgusting fat body, private pile! Sir, yes, sir! Then why did you hide a jelly donut in your footlocker, private pile? Sir, because I was hungry, sir! Because you were hungry. Private Pyle has dishonored himself and dishonored the platoon. I have tried to help him, but 
leads to a certain tentative assumption about human nature, about the nature of culture, and about the nature of human society. In regard to human nature, it would seem that we have to deal with two things. Number one, a wide range of potentiality, and B, a drive to make these potentialities actual. The range of these potentialities seem to run a full gamut from the most concrete and material activities such as eating or moving about through a broad belt of emotional and social activities to a fairly broad range of spiritual and intellectual activities. It would be rash to say that this range of potentialities has very specific qualities or needs in it or that there are any intrinsic dividing lines separating one potentiality from another. A study of human personalities and human cultures would seem to indicate that these potentialities blur into one another, that each person has opposing or even incompatible extremes of each potential quality, and that there can be a good deal of substituting of one potential quality for another as these qualities develop into actual characteristics. Let me give you a list of some of the, the range of human potentialities. Military, political, economic, social, religious, intellectual. Although this division will always be made with the full realization that it could, with good justification, be made otherwise as material needs, food, clothing, shelter, Maslow's hierarchy. We're just going to go with the with these six. Military, political, economic, social, religious, and intellectual. This range of human potentialities is also the range of human needs. Because of man's vital drive that impels him to seek to realize his potentialities. This drive, this force inside us, is, it's even more mysterious than the potentialities. It seeks to realize. If you think back throughout history, men have given various names to this drive. There, there have been endless disputes about its names, about its extent and nature. The classical Greeks, like Aristotle, sought to ignore it by merely assuming that everything had a purpose and that everything by its very nature sought to achieve its purpose. This is generally known as a teleological explanation, coming from the Greek word telos, meaning purpose or goal. In the Christian Middle Ages, this teleological approach was somewhat modified by the belief that while everything had a purpose, things were drawn to seek to fulfill these purposes by the, love of God, <clears throat> by the love of God. About the year 1600, men began to place this drive inside of men. 
driving them on rather than outside, drawing them on. Use the force, Luke. Let go, Luke. The force is strong in this one. As before 1600, Spinoza, about 1670, called this drive the soul. And in 1818, Schopenhauer called it the will. About 1890, Bergson called it the vital urge, while at the same time, Freud called it sex. Throughout this later period, many natural scientists called it energy. Without getting into any controversy about the merits of these various terms, we can agree with them all that there does seem to be some force driving men to seek to realize their potentialities. When these potentialities of human nature are realized, they become the characteristics of human personality. It's helpful, for we cannot directly observe or study human nature and are compelled to make assumptions as to what it must be like from our studies of human personality. Since the characteristics of human personality emerge from the potentialities of human nature as a result of experience and training, and since each person's experience and training are different, each personality is different. At the same time, since each person in the same society is brought up in the same culture and thus tends to have similar experiences and similar training, most of the persons in a society tend to have a basic personality pattern with similar general characteristics, either emphasized or subdued. Not only is human personality formed by the social environment, the social environment or culture is largely made up of the personalities it has created. In this way, culture is passed down from generation to generation, always somewhat changed, but always largely the same. From this point of view, culture is known as the social heritage, the passing on from generation to generation by teaching and learning, most of it unconscious. You know what I mean by that? Let me give you an example. When a child is first trying to walk, he, he may fall down without actually hurting himself. For those of you who have had kids, you've, you know, you, between your first kid and your second kid, when your first kid falls, you're probably running over like, oh no, I'm so scared, helping him up. <clears throat> but by the time you have a second kid, maybe even a third kid, excuse me, <clears throat> when they fall, it's no big deal. You've seen it before. But the way you react to those children falling, the way you react has, a, has an immense effect on their personality. When... Right after they fall, like the next few moments may contribute, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so let's say one of your kids falls. If you run over there and swoop down on them, full of sympathetic sounds and commiseration, the child may decide that he is hurt and begin to cry. Right As soon as they see the level of 
concern on your face. It's like it instantly transfers to them. Like you're telling them they should be scared because they fell. And kids pick that up fast. Anybody who has a kid understands that. And once you pay attention to them and you run over there and you do that, all of a sudden you're teaching them. You are molding them. And that particular move could easily become one of the earliest steps towards forming a personality that reacts to the unexpected with self-pity. On the other hand, if the child falls and say you or a neighbor say, hey, get up, Johnny. What are you doing? Get up, Johnny. Try again. You must be more careful and watch where you're going, buddy. This could easily be an early step towards self-responsibility and self-reliance. Sometimes after a kid falls, the child, if ignored, will be, you'll see him get frustrated or sometimes even resentful. Struggling to his feet, he may strike out at the nearest person or an inanimate object or throw something or get mad. Again, the reactions of yourself or the surrounding adults depend upon the personalities or the patterns of the culture. And these patterns and personalities serve to mold the develop the developing personality of the child. There are societies where a frustrated child who strikes at an innocent bystander might be admired. Hey, look at the spirit in that kid. Isn't he a little man? You know, this serves to encourage the development of a culture based on personalities of irrational aggressions. If on the other hand, a child who displays an early response of aggression to frustration is immediately stopped, has his hand slapped or discouraged such a reaction, and is sternly warned, you fell because you weren't being careful. You didn't watch what you were doing. Mrs. Jones had nothing to do with your falling, so don't you dare strike out at her. In a case like that, the child's personality will be turned from aggression to self-responsibility. So I know there's a big school of thought that says your kid's going to be who your kid is. And that's true to a degree, in my opinion. However, the reactions that you as a parent provide to that child as they're growing are going to have a large effect. Right? You may not be able to control the car completely, but you can steer it. You can at least push it in the right direction. It may not go exactly where you want it to go, but you can crank on that wheel and get it to go left or right. So if you think about that particular situation, episodes like that occur many times a day in every single society. And when they occur, the people involved react to them in accordance with their own personality structures. Few of the persons involved in such a situation stop to think that they are involved in teaching, in a teaching situation and are helping to mold the society of the future by helping to mold the personality of one of its members. That's an important point. If you can think about that, if you can just be in the present and know that the interactions you're having with the people you love, especially your children or children of the community, every discussion you have with a child is, you know, it's a teaching situation and you are helping to mold the society of the future by helping to mold the personalities of one of the future members. In highly integrated societies such as 
most primitive tribes. The outcome of each such episode as this will be similar because the adults involved have similar personality structures. And as a consequence, the children growing up who occasion such incidents will experience similar reactions and will themselves develop similar personality structures, whatever these may be. In a more complex and more disintegrated society, such as our own, the personality structures of adults are already so varied that it is difficult to say how they would react to the event we have described. Thus, quite different reactions might occur, and the, child, the children who are at the center of these episodes, by experiencing different reactions, will grow up with different personalities thus continuing and probably increasing the disintegration of the society's behavior patterns. There can be no doubt that we could have predicted the social response to any act of childish aggression a century or more ago with some assurance. The child would have been punished, but today it would be impossible to guess what might happen. And just as the possible reactions have become more varied, so the personalities developed from such relations have become more diverse and the society itself has become less integrated. Let's walk down a different path for a minute. Think about the ways in which different children from different parts of the world are raised. And then think about the large push all the governments have had for diversity. You have to ask yourself, what, what is the difference between diversity and inequality. If I have seven cups, let's say I have seven red solo cups. Red solo cup, I fill you up, let's have a party. Fill each of those cups with a different level of water. Are those cups filled to different levels, would you consider those cups to be diverse or unequal? What do you think they'd be? Would you say that, wow, this is a very diverse group of cups. Like the level of water in these cups is very diverse and that is a good thing. Well, it might not be a good thing if you're really thirsty and you got the cup with a very low level of water. What if, would you say, wow, these cups are all, these cups are unequal. They're unequal. We need to divvy up the water so it's perfect. Well, if you make them all equal, then they're no longer diverse. You see what's going on there? So how does this particular topic fit in to the evolution or disintegration of civilizations. I guess I'm having a difficult time deciding if, if we're being socially engineered to give up our culture, to give up the ways we live, or it's a byproduct of unintended consequences. On one level, when you get together with people that think differently and you can sit down and have a rational conversation, both people have the opportunity to leave that conversation knowing more 
about the world because they were able to see it from the other person's point of view. That's a good thing. However, when you have large groups of people that are not from the same culture thrust together, there will be some people that sit down and have the former conversation. However, there will also be, in a larger number, people that won't do that. And instead of it being diverse, the people that can sit down and speak with one another and then see the world from the other person's point of view, that's a diverse group. The people who can't do that are unequal. And we're having a difficult time as a world separating the idea of diversity from inequality. I challenge you to ask people, what's the difference? And see what they say. It's, maybe it's just a language barrier. Diversity has like a positive connotation. But inequality has a negative connotation. Can we be diverse and unequal at the same time? Let me give you a real-world example. We saw recently, a few days ago, the storming of some government houses here in the United States. And the message from the media, I would say the message from the majority of the media is a negative one about the actions of those people. <clears throat> However, I think there's something beautiful in it. Like these people are from our, these are Americans. And if you're an American, you should love your neighbor, regardless of what, I mean, if, if you subscribe to the ideals of being a good human being, you should care about your neighbor, regardless of where you live, right? We have that golden rule. And when you listen to the media in the United States, and I'm willing to bet this is everywhere right now, there is just this large, focused like a laser beam weapon of division. What's coming from the media is like these are just white, racist, horrible people. They're deplorables. And that's such a broad brush to paint people with. Like, I know people that won't even leave their house because they're scared of COVID because they don't want to die. And here's another group of people that are like, the in, my entire life is being taken away from me, and I've had enough. People around me are dying. I am going to go down and go to the Capitol and tell these people I've had enough. Like, there's something beautiful in that, right? Here's someone willing to stand up and fight for what they believe in. I don't, I don't know what I would do in that position. What if you were making millions of dollars and the spigot that was flowing your money will be turned off if you say the wrong thing? Then you become Julian Assange, right? And then you can either be Tim Pool and build a skate ramp in your house and not tell the truth, 
or tell just the wrong flavor of the truth. You know, just get out there and tell all the people, all the young kids that might be a problem, just tell them that's ah, a bad idea. You know what I mean? Just like a little subtle sprinkling of propaganda on you. Just a little... You know what I mean? Just a soft little sprinkle. And that part is sad to me. I think it's a huge problem. And that's... Let's tie this back into culture. So right now we're seeing the cultural machine push the agenda of non-violence by not, hey, you can't change stuff by violence, man. It's not going to work. Really? Because I'm pretty sure there was a guy named Robe Spear that was famous. I'm pretty sure that most revolutions were violent. I'm pretty sure that the United States military-industrial complex, the dollar, is backed by violence. In fact, that's probably our number one export is violence. We're really, really good at it. My grandpa killed lots of people. My dad killed people. I'm the only one that hasn't killed people. You believe that? They probably think I'm a giant pussy. And it's, it's kind of a double standard, right? Hey, it's okay to go to the Middle East and just start murdering people so we can take all their stuff. Because we're going to give that stuff to the corporations, right? Right. But you know what's not okay? It's not okay to go to the government and tell them that you're not happy. That's not okay. You can storm the houses in Libya. You can do it in Syria. You can do it in Venezuela. But how dare you have the audacity to go down to your local government and tell them you're unhappy? What's wrong with you? You must be a racist. You see, and I think that's, that's the fundamental flaw that's been happening in the U.S. is that on the coasts and in the areas that are blue, you have this idea that is not really based in science. You have this idea of what human nature could be. And then you have, in the red states, you have this long-term experience of what human nature has been. It's been this way forever doesn't mean it can't change but the way it has changed in the past has been violent and I think that that is where our culture is I think that there's a lot of people in positions of authority that would like to get rid of the violent nature of people. And that, like the frog in the pot, if you can just slowly turn up the water, then you can slowly cook out the 
violent nature of that frog. Slowly turn up the heat until the violent nature evaporates out of the pot. I think that that is the long-term plan for a global government. I think that's the long-term plan of the social engineers trying to create a more harmonious government. But that'll never fucking work. That's never going to work. The reason it's not going to work is that the peop- the law of unintended consequences. I think it was Jordan Peterson who said, we are protected by something we can't see from something we don't understand. Culture, our culture, protects us from chaos. And it is this set of ideas and beliefs and ways that have been passed down from generation to generation, like we spoke about previously. This passing down from generation to generation, largely unconscious, somewhat changed, but largely the same. And to try and rapidly erase that. I think at the very best, it's going to leave the human soul with a giant scar. And if you look at the children that have been born in like the 90s, I think that their rate of suicide and mental illness is 10 to 12 times higher than those born in the 80s. There's been this uptick of mental illness while our society tries to force the youth into being engineers and technological widgets, the theory of interchangeable parts. Humans are not numbers. Humans are not machines, and nor will they ever be machines. I don't see a way for social engineers to eliminate emotions. And even if they were successful in eliminating emotions, it would be the worst possible thing for our world. Yes, I get it. People are crazy in the... Crime, there's crimes of passion, there's crimes of violence, but there's also acts of love and acts of kindness, and you can't have one without the other. Doesn't work. Let's dig a little bit deeper. The culture of a society consists of much more than the personalities of the people in the society, it consists of all the material things they use, such as where they live, dwellings, tools, clothing. It consists of patterns of action, feeling, and thought. It consists of established social relationships between one person and another, as well as between persons and objects. There's some really thorny issues when it comes to culture that have to be talked about. 
and I think race is one of them. If you if you want to do something that I think is sad and interesting at the same time is Google are all white people racist. If you Google that, you know what comes up? It's the very first thing that comes up is, yes, my dear, all white people are racist by Marley Kay. That's from Medium. The second thing is New York Post, peddling the idea that all white people are racist for profit. Number three, examining white fragility and why some disagree with the claim that all white people are racist. Number four, am I racist? You may not like the answer. How does that happen? How does that happen? Clearly, that happens one of two ways. Either the search algorithm, that's the most thing searched for. And so it's ranked that way. And so when people go to are all white people racist, everyone, the majority of people think that. And so they go to those articles. Or, or the algorithm is programmed that way. So that when people go there, those are the articles they see. Which one do you think it is? Is it, are all white people racist? And what happens to people when they go, if we use Google as the number one search algorithm, and all the kids in school will begin using, or you know, they probably do use Google. That's the first thing they see. The very first thing you see when you look at are white people racist is yes. Like that's definitely engineering our culture. It's interesting to think about and it's sad to think about. And it makes the case why our culture is disintegrating. Is it true? I don't think so. But a lot of people do. And if the majority of people think something's true and the minority of people don't think it's true, what do you think it's transferred in the handing down of information from generation to generation? Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We brought slaves to the United States. They had no chance. They had no choice. And then not that long ago, slaves were given their freedom. But were they really? Were they really given their freedom? Because they didn't have the freedom to create their own culture. Sure, sure. We tell, like, they're told that. Oh, yeah, you can listen to whatever music you want. You can wear whatever shoes you want, wear whatever clothes you want. But here's these models of profession that you can do. 
And they're all based on white culture. You want to be a lawyer? You want to be a doctor? You want to be this? You want to be that? Well, they didn't... The people that were forced to come here, they didn't have a choice of the culture that they were going to be in. And if your culture for thousands of years is based on something different, you're not going to be able to fit into the culture you're going. Let me give you an example. If I go to Japan... I don't know a whole lot about the culture of Japan. So if I went there, I would not be able to my to function as well in that culture as someone who was born in that culture, as someone whose family had been in that culture for generations. I'm not saying you can't succeed. Clearly you can. Regardless of what color or race or gender you are, you can succeed in any culture if you're willing to put in the hard work and you have the drive and you don't give up. You can succeed. However, it's not going to be easy. And if you're not from a culture, if you're not familiar with the culture in which you're trying to succeed, it's like having weights tied to your belt while you go swimming. It's going to drag you down. I think that's where we get to the, there should be opportunities. There should be Equal opportunities, but not equal outcomes. You can guarantee opportunity, but you can't guarantee outcomes. That's where we go wrong. And I think that's where we are going wrong as a society. And I think that that is the very foundation in which a lot of the riots are happening around the world. I'm not, you know, you can see both sides. A large portion of the world has nothing. For every one child born in the West, there can be a thousand born in a third world country. And I think people don't understand that that's where we're at. We're at a, we are in a war of civilization. We can either have the third world come to the United States. Or we can try to bring the United States to the third world. And that's been our plan. It's been violent. It's been bloody. It's been disastrous. But I think that is the goal of the West has been to export the United States Western democracy to the rest of the world. And it doesn't work very well. <laughs> Right? It does not work very well. That's fair to say. So now we're going to try bringing the third world to the United States. And I don't think that's going to work very well either. However, it might be too late. It might be too late. And you're going to see a lot more of what you saw yesterday. 
God have mercy on all of us. I love you guys. Hope you're having a great day. So there you have it, my friends. I think I'm going to stop it there for today. That was a pretty deep one. We got, I think, I think we're going to move into culture and group dynamics. Today was culture and man. It was kind of the, a little bit about group. However, it was a lot about how the individual is shaped by culture and navigates the pathway of culture in everyday life. So I think the next one is going to be on the group dynamics of culture. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I love you guys. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.